You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. What's the relationship between music and big business? Well, if you look closely, you'll find a relationship between music and everything in life. Music is a form of story. Every person has a story, and that story has its own inherent music. Hopefully, it is music that inspires and elevates the world. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I've discovered that leaders are readers, and... As a listener to this show, you have access as a free gift to any audiobook of your choice, choosing from more than 180,000 titles from our sponsor, Audible. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power, choose the book that you want. Download it for free, enjoy it, and keep it forever. Also, you will get a one-month free trial of all of Audible's service. I'm excited to announce that I have created brand new content for you. It is an additional episode, a short one, about five to ten minutes long, and it will appear at least once a week. I call these episodes One Word Stories. Each episode will focus on a word, a common word that we all use, but it may be charged with meanings that are affecting our lives in ways that we can't even imagine. Enjoy these episodes as mini shots of empowerment. Remember to keep your dialogue with the show alive. It enriches everyone. Send your responses, your comments, your requests to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Today's guest is a man whose story, whose music inspires He is a leadership expert, a speaker, and an executive coach to business owners. His mission is to build a legion of leaders, leaders who make more money, have less stress, and enjoy more freedom to do the things they love. He's the founder of Legion of Leaders, a mastermind for business people. He also hosts a show called Small Business Big Leaders. Get excited to meet Yigal Adato. Yigal, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And uh, off the bat, that I pronounce your name correctly? You did. You know, often I have to tell people that you pronounce it 
different ways. And so what I came up with, I said, it's like Steven Seagal, but Egal. Oh, that's great. Reason, everyone gets it after I say that. So Well, because everybody knows Steven Seagal. Exactly, exactly. I'm not so sure that's a good thing, but they do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. So I'm, first of all, interested to know if you had a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up. I, I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to sing. That was my childhood dream. Now, where did that come from? So I'm Jewish, and sitting in synagogue, I would listen to the cantor singing, and he would lead the congregation in, in prayer. And it was just so incredible the way he, he held the space for, for you know 500 people at a time and how people would get enthralled and inspired by the way he sang that I knew that's what I wanted to do to some extent. So at the age of about five years old, I pulled up a chair next to him and I would stand there and just listen to him sing. And it morphed into me learning you know, a lot of the prayers and the songs. And then I began to sing at my synagogue. And that's how my career in music actually started off. Wow. That's a beautiful story. That could be in a movie, my friend. Yeah, it was... Uh, to now, this day, I do go it. Ahead, so. Go ahead. Wow, that's fabulous. Now, you're young, but I don't know if you know about, the. he's a legend, uh, a man named Al Jolson. I've heard of him. Don't know much, but I've heard of him. You know, way before your time, but if you can find the old movie somewhere, I'm sure you can, in some store, the Al Jolson story, um, it little inspire you. He was a young Jewish boy, and he fell in love with singing, like you did. What he did is he defied his family, and he went hanging out in a lot of the clubs uh, where black musicians were playing, and he loved jazz. Now, today, this would never happen, but this man actually used to go on stage in blackface oh, wow. and sing. And uh, it's called the Al Jolson story. It's very powerful. He became a famous singer. Um, yeah, his father wanted him to be a cantor. Well, he did the next best thing for him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he did it a different way, right? <laughs> Indeed. So talk about your journey in music. So you started like that. Where did it take you? So then I uh, had a really good friend of mine, and we would always hang out in his house, and his father was a drummer. So there was always a drum set and piano and guitar. And I always had a passion for music and, and always had a passion for the stage. So in high school, I joined the uh, show choir. And so I really got to singing there and learned how to use my voice in singing. And then my best friend and I, with some more people, a couple of his brothers, we started a band. And so, you know, we went on this rock and roll journey and, and we, uh, we toured and we played everywhere and we actually did some incredible things. We opened uh, Woodstock 99. We were wow. the opening band for Woodstock 99. We went on tour with some big musicians like Weezer and No Doubt and Green Day and we had an incredible time. What ended up happening was that the band, we were six guys strong, kind of hit a plateau 
And so one of the, my, the drummer, Elon Rubin, who's a very famous drummer right now, uh, he went off and he was being hired to do albums and session work and play live for bigger musicians. And so we kind of decided to take a break and let him do his thing. And that's kind of how the band broke up. But I always was enthralled with the stage and music. So I went from doing music to acting. So I started acting in plays that a good friend of mine would write. And every year I acted in a play. And I love the stage. I have a tremendous respect for the stage. And that's why today I do public speaking. Wow. Did you ever perform in any professional productions? No, mostly all of the performances I've done have been plays that my friend wrote. And we would, uh, we would produce them and have, you know, 300 people come by and watch it. But it was just a good time. It was a way for me to, to disconnect, to give back to the audience, to play a different character, to step on stage. And it's what I love to do. Oh, I love that. What was the name of your group, the singing group? It was called FON, Freak of Nature. Oh. Yeah, so if you look me up online, you'll hear some of my songs from back in the day. Oh, yeah, so. definitely. I definitely will. Now, do you have a favorite stage actor? You know, stage acting is something that I haven't really gotten deep into diving into. Uh, I go to, you know, hear the local Broadway shows, and I love shows like Rent and and a lot of the ones that are musically involved because it's a way of showing how an actor can sing, can act, sometimes dance, which for me, if you can do the trifecta, it's incredible. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there's a show that's touring right now, and I know that it, I believe it opened in Los Angeles recently. I saw it in New York in March, and it has all three. It's called Cagney. Do you, I know that that actor too was before your time, but he was again a great legend like along with Humphrey Bogart. James Cagney, does the name ring a bell? Uh, it doesn't, no. But I okay. will, I'm writing this stuff down because you're giving me some great information. Well, so. James Cagney became famous for playing gangsters. And that was how he made his career in film. And that was because of the genius of Jack Warner, Warner Brothers Studios. But the truth of the matter is that he always hated that because he was a song and dance guy. Mm -hmm. Now, in the play Cagney, a young actor wrote the play. He plays James Cagney. He looks like him, and it's song, dance, and acting, and it's unbelievable. If it comes to San Diego, man, you will not be unhappy seeing it. Brilliant, brilliant show. I will check it out for sure. And, and one thing that came to my mind right now, Lewis, is that, you know, many, many years ago, I saw a Fiddler on the Roof, the movie, mm. in, in, the, in the Jewish day school that I was in. When I got to see it live on Broadway... I was blown away. Hmm. I mean, just blown away at, at these actors who can stand there, sing, dance for an hour and a half. And I got to, you know, um, view it with the original actor, the original Tevye. 
And so it was. That so was, uh, to see. was that Zero Mostel? Uh, no, it was. Um, I think I saw it with Chaim Topol. Okay. Huh? If I'm not mistaken. I know Zero Mostel played it, but then uh, Chaim, I saw it with Chaim Topol, and it was just incredible. I mean, the way standing ovation afterward had the audience enthralled, it took you somewhere to a different time for that hour and a half. You forgot your problems, your worries, your stresses. And you you were watching magic happen. And that's what I think I wanted to do as a young boy. To a certain extent, I wanted to travel somewhere else sometimes, right? To forget about the stresses and the problems that were going on around me. But I love doing it for other people as well. You know what I'm hearing, okay? Um, as you know, I'm an actor. Yes. And what I'm hearing in your voice, because the tone of voice tells a lot. You light up when you talk about this. I mean, I'm talking about suddenly you're that kid again. You're in touch with that dream again. And I have a feeling that you're going to have to give that kid a stronger voice now that you're grown up and successful. And maybe you're going to have to hit the stage again. Oh, I've, I've recently started to a lot more than before. So the last three years... I've acted in a play once a year, and then now I'm doing a lot of public speaking, which I love to do. But I agree with you. It's for me, part of what I teach uh, in leadership, one of the 10 keys is, and we'll get into that later on, is creativity. I need to touch my creativity for mm. me to be able to be happy and smile. And I teach the clients that I coach, you know, what is it that you were creative with? What did you love to do as a kid? And let's get back into that because that unlocks a portion of leadership that if you don't, get stuck. You're talking about you're a right brain person. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but, uh, you know, I have this a similar passion. And, of course, I parlay it into different forms of storytelling. Acting is certainly one of them. But they did a study. This is science now. And it was called a split brain study, where uh, it was a neuroscientist who had won a Nobel Prize. His last name was Sperry, S-P-E-R-R-Y. They took people who suffered from epileptic fits, and they hooked them up to electrodes. And they did presentations to them where they would just present data. Now, you know, as a speaker, that can be deadly. If all you're doing is presenting data, facts and information, even though it may be captivating stuff, here's what they found. The left side of the brain, totally engaged, because it's analysis and logic, etc. The right side actually went to sleep. Then they read these people a story. And what they found was the right side of the brain completely woke up and engaged and the left side actually participated. Incredible. Now, yeah, I'll say. People wonder, I mean, why is he so excited about storytelling? (laughs) Not just because it's fun, and it is, but there's a lot more to it than that. It goes right to the core of who we are. And you understand that. Now, I know that you also 
went through that period of being um, an artist who's broke. So yes. I would like to know if you remember <laughs> your self-talk when you were living as a broke musician performer. So I, I remember specifically when I was a musician, a lot of people, my family is a family of entrepreneurs. And they would always say like, you, go, you know, you need to get to work, make some money. And little by little, I started to believe that, that their talk and it included it in my self-talk. And so I would kind of tell myself like, you know what, maybe this wasn't the right choice for me. Maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe I'm not a great singer like I think I am. Maybe I should just get to work. And it was, it was detrimental because you can hear it in my songwriting. You can hear it in, in whenever we would have shows before I was extremely excited. And then I started to give excuses. Oh, you know, driving up to LA, three hours. Uh, are people going to be there? Do we, you know, is the sound system going to be good? When before, it was just like, who cares? Let's go play. So I, I remember specifically that my self-talk was wasn't as positive as it should have been. We were a very, very talented group of guys. We loved what we did. And we all kind of allowed for us to take a break because of that self-talk. Wow. You know what? What you just said, um, I studied with a very powerful entrepreneur named um, Alex Mendozian. And Mendozian at his live events used to say, Raise your hand when you have a backpack moment. And what that meant was that you heard something that suddenly gave you the value of the entire event and you could literally put your backpack on and leave, but you would have gotten complete value. You just delivered a backpack moment. And I want the storytellers listening to really pay attention to what we just discussed. And I want to break that down. First of all, the self-talk that says, well, I doubt myself. Maybe I'm not that good a singer. That is a powerful story. And the moment you invest in it and you begin to focus on it, it will literally become your truth. Mm -hmm. I heard a brilliant personal development teacher, Vishen Lakayani, the other day say, realism is just a form, it's a socially acceptable form of pessimism. Yes. So when you start thinking that, you immediately begin to compare yourself to the greatest singers in the world, and the image in your head is definitely going to come up short. And so then you say, well, I guess I should be realistic. I'll never be another... You fill in the blanks. The truth of the matter is, if your self-talk is, I am the greatest. Remember um, Muhammad Ali, first time I heard him say that, I thought it was crazy arrogance. Then I realized, no, the man was using an affirmation mm -hmm. and he stepped into that. I am the greatest. That's how he prevailed and became a champion. The other thing is, that, yeah, you may have given in to self-talk that led you down a path that, hey, I won't judge it and say terrible path. You've become incredibly successful and it's a good thing. The beauty of it is that now that you are wise and you 
had more resources, you could create another narrative, another story where you incorporate all of what you love without throwing away what's feeding you financially. I, I agree, and I'd like to take it one step further, if that's okay with you. Oh, please. If you if you listen to my music from when I started to where when I ended, the first album that we wrote was, we were 16, 17 years old. I mean, it was about fun. It was about uh, girls. It was about, it was just, it was a fun album. If you look at the last album I wrote when I was 22 years old, it was angry. There was mm. a lot of pain there. Because I started telling myself a different story of who I was at 16, 17, and what was my, my environment than what I was at 21, 22. And when you listen to the lyrics, and I'm so glad it happened because I was allowed to release some of that anger and pain for myself, but I was in a different place. There was such a story created that, that built this uh, scenario of anger that it came through in my music. Hmm, yeah. And so I believe everything you talk about with story. For me, when I give speeches, I I tell my stories and I tell my truths of what happened. And that's how I connect with people. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that true connection is, is through uh, transparent storytelling. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Totally. Because you, you can tell a story and kind of fib it. You can be a great storyteller, but if it's not transparent, there's kind of a lack of connection through it, right? That's why oh, yeah. I believe that when we act, if we take on some of the character and we, we're transparent with it, that that's how you really connect with the audience. Oh, so, 100%. Listen, one of the great discoveries for me as I was studying acting as a younger man was, wow, when I was a kid, I thought acting was brilliant pretending, brilliant faking. It's the opposite. To be a great actor, you must have uh, a powerful sense of truth, yeah. openness, and an authenticity. And Sidney Lumet said about Al Pacino, the magic of that man on film is that he's incapable of a false moment. Wow. Everything he brings, whether you like it or not, it is authentic and truthful. Yeah. That's so, yeah, this is powerful stuff. Yeah. Uh, how did you discover your passion for leadership? My passion for leadership started, I was 15 years old and I was part of a, uh, like a youth organization where there was counselors and there was kids and we'd get together every Saturday to play games. And it was about 250 people strong. So at the age of 15, you go through a leadership training so that at 16, I could become one of the, one of the counselors. So going through that leadership training, it gave me so much. It gave me a sense of confidence, a sense of courage. I learned how to deal with people, how to you know, step in front of a 30 kids and, and give an activity. And so I, I went through the steps of this organization and I loved it. And afterward, I stayed on to do a lot of leadership development for the counselors and leadership development for the organization itself. So I took what I learned there and I used it in my music career, and then I used it in business. Mm. And when I started to use it in business, I started to gain momentum and get success from, from doing what I would do. I would, 
I would do trainings with my brother who was my partner and we would do these great activities and leadership trainings and the company grew and so I knew that I was on to something. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I got married that I really learned my leadership lesson. And two things happened. One was my wife sat me down after a year of marriage and said, Egal, I didn't get married to be alone. And the second thing that happened was that my father, very successful businessman, was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia around the same time. So I had to come back and say, okay, I've learned leadership. I can teach leadership. But who am I as a leader? And what areas of my life am I leading and which ones am I not leading? So what I started to look at was a true leader has to lead himself first before leading anything else. Mm-hmm. Love that. Beautifully said, my friend. Thank you. Now, you went into retail at the age of 22. Did you do that out of love or necessity or both? Necessity. So I was a broke musician. <laughs> <laughs> I was a broke musician and my brother opened up a, a small little pawn shop and that's P-A-W-N. And <laughs> just in case, right? In case. Um, <laughs> and I, I was a, I was a broke musician. I was still touring and having fun, but I was broke. I mean, there was no money in my bank account. So we're sitting around the dinner table with my family one night, and my brother is talking about how, you know, he's loved opening up this shop, but he's having trouble doing the accounting and talking with the lawyers. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, governmental permitting that you have to go through. So, you know, a light bulb went on and I said, hey, I can work with my brother part time, but I can still do music and have the groupies. Right. So I said, hey, you know, bro, I'll, I'll come to your store twice a week and I'll start doing the paperwork for you. And he's like, OK, great. That's let's do that. So two times a week became three and then four and then five and then six and then seven days a week at some point, And I don't know how he did this. My brother convinced me to work seven days a week, 14 hours a day in growing the store. Wow. So it was out of necessity for sure. But I learned so much from doing it. So. Where, where was the store? Here in San Diego. So you're from there. That's where you were born? No, I was born in Istanbul, Turkey. Oh. And we immigrated to the States uh, when I was about two years old. I love San Diego, by the way. Uh, it's it's incredibly sunny and hot today. It's inc- it's very expensive, but I love the weather, and my whole family's here, and family's very important. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if people people who don't know in North America is probably one of the most ideal climates because it's the same twelve months a year, and it's temperate. I mean, you know, beautiful hot, clear days, and then comfortable evenings where you can yeah. wear a light jacket or you know. Uh, if you have to, I mean, you might not just wear short sleeves. I've been there, I think, two or three times. Um, I'm part of a network marketing company, and we have often had our celebration in August in San Diego. Yeah, so, it's it's, inc- it's an incredible place to live. Mm, absolutely love it. Now, is your brother older than you? Yeah, he's five years older than I am. Okay. Now, out of this retail business, now you and your brother managed to earn, you know, a measly 
$50 million in 15 years. How did you do that? Okay, so um, that number still sounds very, very big to me. And <laughs> the, the way we did it was we had exceptional customer service. We believed in our product and our people. And we did a lot of grassroots marketing. We didn't have the money to go on big network television like the other competitors. And so we would think very outside of the box. I'll give you a quick example. We'd go to the grocery store and the lines would be full. And we would you know, put down $50 on 10 of the counters and say, you know, our business is going to pay your groceries. So we'd spend $500, but we would get this massive uh, word of mouth campaign going. And then once in a while, we'd go out to the community and we'd, you know, we'd throw a party for people. We'd spend $1,000 and we'd have a taco guy come out and we'd have tacos and we'd just celebrate with the community. And so what started happening was we started to become the community place to go. We gave lollipops to the kids. And so we realized that in order for us to grow this business, in order for us to sell what we sold in services and product, because we sold a service, you know, lending money, and we also sold a product when we'd sell product on the other end, that we had to be incredible at customer service. We had to be incredible at training our employees, our team members to smile, to laugh, and to give back. And that's how I believe that we did that. Wow. Another powerful lesson. Now, uh, can you clarify for us? Describe the business in detail, because before you talked about a pawn shop, this doesn't sound like a pawn shop. So we took what we had learned from the pawn industry before. My my father, his business is pawn shops. He had 12 of them with my uncle and my grandfather. And we took the what to do and the what not to do, and we combined it, right? And I'll, and right. I'll explain that. Okay. So a pawn shop is a place where hardworking, blue-collar people need money, let's say a tire popped. They don't have $100 to go and buy a new tire. So they would bring in a piece of jewelry, they would bring in their laptop, their game system, their guitar. They'd get a loan, and they'd have four months to come back and pick it up. And a lot of government regulations, so a lot of people think that, you know, people steal stuff and then come to the pawn shop. But it's not true because we took signatures, thumbprints, IDs, we would take pictures of the people, so it's really people in necessity, people who needed $5 to put gas in their car to get to work. And until you work the counter at a pawn shop, which is an extremely humbling business, you don't understand what it's like to need $5 or $10 mm. for mm. diapers. Mm. Single mothers who were working as maids in hotels would need $10 for diapers for their kids. And so we offered that service and we offered it at a low rate. We offered it, it was non-recourse. So if they didn't come back for it, we would call them, we would text them to make sure that they knew, but it wouldn't hit their credit, right? So it wouldn't affect their credit score whatsoever. So, And so what would happen was 90% of the people would come back for their items and the 10% who didn't come back for it it was under contract that we could sell the item after the four months or the five months. Mm. So the service was essentially lending money, just like a bank does, 
but as a, at a much smaller scale and then selling retail items if people didn't come back for it. Hmm. Now, not all pawn shops operate like that, do they? No, 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 no. So some of them, you know, have bulletproof glass and some of them don't really go out into the community. And if there's any pawnbrokers listening to this, I'm giving a speech at a pawnbrokers convention on, on Saturday that we gave back to the community because w when we believed that the paycheck was signed by the customer, that's when we were able to th to turn things around and really give to the customers that they gave back to us. Well, the, the, that part of it is exceptional. But what I meant was, um, is every pawn business regulated to the point where you have to hold on to what's been given to you? Or are there some pawn shops where if I go in, I bring an expensive watch, I make a deal, the guy gives me money, basically it's his now and he can sell it today or tomorrow. So a pawn shop that works under the rules of their municipality has to hold on to it. Oh. Um, most of the pawn shops that I know that I had the privilege of working with abide by the rules and every state has different rules. I'll say that. So every state has different rules. I mean, different cities have different rules and regulations. So every pawn shop should be abiding by the rules, and most of them do. Wow, very interesting. I just learned something new. I never knew that about pawn shops. Um, as an actor, I've actually acted in a pawn shop <laughs> in Toronto uh, and uh, never knew anything about that aspect of the business. I'm going to find out if it's the same here in Canada. Now, but you made $50 million. Did you do that with one place, one store? Uh, at the end, when I sold two years ago, we had three locations. Wow. Yeah. Now, when and how did you create your platform for training and nurturing leaders? So about two years before selling the stores, I knew that at some point I was going to exit. And I had started... Uh, coaching here and there and developing kind of my background in coaching. And I was doing uh, coaching for, for business people, for just everybody who would want any type of coaching. And so in order to master how to do the coaching, it wasn't until about the last year before I sold my company that I started seeing what true leadership is and how I can teach it in this 10-step formula that I teach today so that a leader can be self-aware, self-lead, and then be able to lead others. Because at first I thought it was, how can you be a great leader? You know, a lot of people would say, oh, this person's a great leader because they lead a great team. But I thought to myself, wait a second. If I'm not leading in my life, if my wife comes to me and says, I didn't get married to be alone, something's wrong with my leadership within my household, Right? how I lead in my marriage. I was 40 pounds overweight. How am I able to teach leadership if I can't lead my body? I had a different mindset. How can I be a leader if I can't lead my mind? Mm -hmm. So I started looking into you know, how I can kind of make this a 10-step thing for myself, these 10 keys that I teach to unlock the leader in myself consistently every single day because I believe that you get up 
you lead and you repeat. And if you don't do that, something's going to fall through the cracks. So I created the platform uh, about two years ago, having done leadership for many, many years. And so what I teach today is this system of unlocking the leader, because I believe that if you don't unlock the leader in yourself, teaching you how to lead your team is secondary. Mm-hmm. If you don't deal with the things in your mind, if you don't deal with the condition of your body, if you don't deal with your courage and your commitment, leading your team will always be secondary. Because they will see, just like us actors, they will see through the farce. Mm. They will see that it's not from a place of integrity, a place of truth and transparency. And then you will lose, you will lose them as followers. Love that. You made me think of two uh, prominent people who have written extensively about personal growth and leadership. John Maxwell. Yep. Do you uh, have anything yeah. to do with it? You have anything to do with him? Uh, I'm a big fan. I've read a couple of his books. I listen. I've heard him speak live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan. And the other one is, um, I'm thinking of the book by Don Miguel Ruiz, the four yes. ag- the four agreements. The, yes, one of my favorite books. Yeah, because as you were talking about integrity, etc., and you know, walking the talk, that's exactly what he writes about passionately in that book. And uh, storytellers, if you haven't heard about the four agreements, go out and get it yesterday. Yes, it's and a buy game- a couple of copies. <laughs> yeah, it's a game changer. Or Remember that as a listener to this show, you can actually download the audio version for free at Audible by just going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Now, how do you help people discover what makes them tick? So the first thing I do is we go through the foundation of leadership. And the foundation of leadership is first, you need to choose to lead, right? If you're going to come and work with me, you've made a choice. Something isn't happening the way you want it to. I had a a client who came to work with me, eight-figure business, hundreds of employees. And he kept on telling me that he wanted me to teach his managers how to be better leaders. And as we were talking in the conversation, I asked him a question. I said, how is your marriage? And he paused. And he looked at me and he said, does that matter? I said, oh, yes, my friend. And he said, well, the truth is that my marriage isn't that great. My wife and I are fighting all the time. Uh, It's looking like we might get divorced in the the near future. Um, But, you know, my managers and their leadership. And I said, well, let me ask you another question. I said, how much time are you spending with your kids? And he said, well, you know, here and there, I'm working a lot, many, many hours, and then I come home stressed. And and because of the relationship with my wife, I leave on a lot of of business trips. I said, okay. I said, the work that we need to do is with you and not with your management. Wow. (laughs) Because when you choose to lead, you lead all aspects of your life. Your marriage, your relationships, your children, your time, your health. And so that's what true leadership is for me. So we go through choice and then we go through clarity. And clarity is 
a step that's very, very hard for some people because when I was told by my wife I didn't get married to be alone, I had to take a moment and I went to the restroom and I, I was washing my face. And I was angry, right? I looked in the mirror and I said, how can she say this? We have nice cars. We take nice trips. We have a nice home. I give her such a great life. And then I paused, Lewis, and I thought to myself, Egal, it's time to stop lying to yourself. It's time to say the truth. And so with clarity, we start talking the truth. What's happening in your life? What's happening in your relationships? Where are you in your business? Where are you in your health today? With 100% transparency, so that we have a clear path, there's clarity as to where we need to go and how we're gonna get there. Because in leadership, if you lie, you can't lead through a clear path. Hmm. So we work on where are you today? Where are you exactly? With no judgment, I judge nobody who comes into my programs. I judge nobody who who I, I coach. I've had everything from from drug addiction, alcohol abuse, uh, sex addiction, anything, you know, it's happened to me. So I judge in no way, shape or form. Where are you today? In your business, where are you? Are you consistently doing what you need to do? Do you know what's happening with your books? Are you being a good leader to your management? So once we go through that and we talk about where you want to go, we talk about you know, how we're going to get there, then we talk about courage. Because shifting who you are today to who you need to be takes courage. You know, I went skydiving about eight years ago. Life is was in a little bit of turmoil. And uh, I sat there at the at the benches before jumping. And I, and I told myself, I'm going to wait here two hours. Was, I'm going to say, if somebody dies, then I'll go and jump. Whoa. It was insane. I was waiting for somebody to die for me to be courageous and go skydiving. Now, you might think skydiving is a crazy thing to do. But no, I guarantee you... actually, I don't. I have a friend who is a professional. Great. So <laughs> some of the listeners might think that, right? And But the truth is that so many of us are waiting for some dramatic thing to happen. For us to lose our business, for us, for our marriage to, to crumble, for our health to deteriorate until we do something courageous. So we build up courage. Mm. And, and then the last step in the foundation is we talk about commitment. Because without commitment, you can't get any of this done. If you don't do what you say and do it on time, you... Let me go back. People want to follow somebody who has commitment and not somebody who's perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, Jocko Willink, uh, an author of the book Extreme Ownership, one of my favorite uh, leadership people at the moment right now, he wakes up every morning at 4.30 in the morning, takes a picture of his watch and posts it on Instagram. He might not be perfect, but he has commitment, Right? He has commitment mm -hmm. and consistency. So people will follow somebody who is committed to the business, to themselves, to their family, before somebody who has perfection. They'll forgive you for making a mistake as long as you're committed to the values and the goals that you say you are. Hmm. I absolutely love it. And, 
you're talking about clarity. Well, you obviously have worked on this and organically grown it because there's a clarity in your presentation of it. That's quite wonderful. What are the three reasons why many leaders fail? So first is I think that they don't tell themselves the truth. They don't tell themselves the truth. You know, my father, who is diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, he always told himself, I'm doing this business for you guys. The truth was, and my father's a great man, he was doing this for his own ego. To make more money, to prove something to somebody, I don't know who that somebody was. So I think that leaders fail, number one, at one, if you don't tell the truth. Okay. Two, if you don't take care of your mind and your body, you will fail as a leader. Many of us go through traumatic events. Many of us go through um, things, you know, I had a, an addiction to porn when I was younger. And if you don't take care of that stuff, it will creep up on you wherever you are. Mm. So you have to take care of your mind. And, and I still go to therapy every two weeks. I hire coaches and mentors, and which helps me regulate who I am as a leader and look back at, okay, is this going to creep up on me? And I don't want it to because I'm so committed to leading that I don't want it to. Right? And the third thing is, I have to say, is having compassion for themselves and other people around them, which basically means forgiving themselves for what's happened in the past and forgiving those in their lives that have done something to them. Because mm -hmm. if you're walking with so much on your shoulders, people sense that. Mm -hmm. People smell it miles away. And so you need to forgive yourself and you need to forgive others. And this is all in, in what I talk about when I coach people. We go through all these steps. I love it. I'm going to mention a book and you might already know it very well. Uh, does the title Radical Forgiveness mean anything to you? I've heard it, haven't read it yet. It's on my list. Oh, my friend. He takes our traditional notions of uh, forgiveness and takes them to a whole other level. It's powerful. It's another one worth getting on, uh, on audio. Yeah. Radical forgiveness by Colin Tipping. You know, as you were talking before about talking to the gentleman who had to acknowledge the... Uh, the holes in his personal life, you know, with uh, the marriage and spending time with children. It made me think again of, you were familiar with T. Harv Eker? Yes. And you know his expression, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yep. I studied with, with Harv for four years and uh, mm. learned a lot. But yeah, how you do anything is how you do everything. What, one of my mentors, Michael Port, says... What's showing up in your business is because it's in your life. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you're having problems in your business, it's because you're having some type of problem in your life. If you're unorganized in your business, because you're unorganized in your life. So. Michael Port? Michael Port, yes. How do you use P-O-R-T? P-O-R-T, huh? He's, hmm. He trains uh, speakers, public speakers, and he's an incredible, I think you would love him, actually. He's all about telling stories within your speeches as opposed to giving facts and data. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time when I was training with him and I was giving a speech to a, um, a, a graduate program where I started under him and I, and I began to cry 
no, excuse me. I wasn't crying. I was holding back my emotion. And he came up to me. He held my hands. And he said, Egal, the tears are there. Let them out. Let them out because you have to be honest with this story. But you have to be able to hold them back so that you can continue telling the story. So mm-hmm. he's, he's a great guy. Great guy. Yeah, you know, this is the same kind of stuff you in acting. This is what you, yeah. you learn. You learn yeah. to do in acting. I love it. I love every, yeah. every part of it. You must also be familiar with Les Brown, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You ever met him? No, I haven't. Oh, what a, what a joy. Guy's spirit is contagious. I saw him one day at an event. I said, hey, Les, great to see you. He goes, great to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> now... Why is it important for people to, I think you kind of covered this. Why is it important for people to embrace leadership? So it's important to embrace leadership when and if you see leadership as a whole life spectrum. If you see leading just in your business and just for your team and just to make money, then embracing it isn't going to be as important as knowing if if you were doing true leadership your marriage would be better, your health would be better, uh, the relationship with your kids would be better, uh, your business would be better. So when you embrace what true leadership is, that's when it's going to be important to embrace leadership itself. Mm-hmm. Good answer. You kind of touched on this too, but you may want to add the qualities and responsibilities of a great leader. So we, we talk about this in the, in the course Unlock the Leader, which is character. And the qualities and responsibilities of a, of a great leader is one, you have to be able to be transparent and honest. Two, you have to be resilient. You have to be resilient, which to me also kind of equates courage, that when anything is thrown at you, you don't stumble, fall, and break down. I think about like Navy SEALs. Mm. when they're out there and their bullets are flying, you know, inches away from their face and they're still about the mission. That to me is resilience. That to me is incredible leadership because they're about something greater than themselves. They're about protecting our nation. They're about catching the bad guy. And when you lead in that way, when you lead, it's about the mission and you lead in a way that says, everything is my fault, so I need to be responsible for all my actions, I think getting to the mission is, is much easier. And so when you have that quality as a leader of, this is our mission, and, I'm, and you know the captain goes down with the boat, so because of that, I'm going to stand my ground and lead, that's the quality a, a true leader has to embrace, so that the other people around him or her will stand tall with him. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, eloquent. Can anyone become an effective leader? People have asked me this question before. Are you born with leadership or can you learn leadership? I believe that there are people who are born with certain qualities that leadership will come to them easier. But I do believe that you can teach somebody how to lead. Because you can lead in all aspects. 
right? Like Robin Sharma talks about leading. You don't have to have a title to lead. And you can be an IT person. You can be, uh, you know, the cleaning lady at a hotel, but you can still lead. You can lead your family. Oh my God, this, this is incredible timing. Yesterday, I was having a garage sale for my family. And an older gentleman comes up with his bike. And to get to my house, there's a steep hill on a bike. And he's sweating and he's just, I mean, just a happy guy. And I say, hey, nice to meet you. Welcome. What can I help you with? And this guy is full of life, Lewis. I mean, just full of energy. I said, I'm really sorry. How old are you? And he said, he called. He didn't know my name. He said, my friend, uh, in two weeks, I'll be 82 years old. At that moment, he jumps down, he does 10 push-ups, no. he rolls around, does like two high kicks, right? And I, I, I'm in shock, just in shock. And he <laughs> says, I've never taken medication, I don't drink, and I started, and I recorded the video, and I'll share it with you afterward, that he says, you know, it's about sleeping, it's about being happy and smiling, it's about listening to people, it's about forgiving, it's about not, I mean, he just went through the list. Right? So I said, hey, man, what did you do for a living? He says, you know, I'm retired and I was a cook at one of the local um, colleges. I have never seen more happiness on someone's face. Hmm. Still married, great relationship with his kids. And so I think to myself, okay, this man wasn't, he was born in, uh, in a ranch in Jalisco, Mexico, wasn't born into leadership right? Didn't have um, money to go out there and spend on personal development and go through course after course. But he had a way of being, which was leader. He was leading his life. <laughs> he was happy. That to me is leadership. He forgave the people in his life. Leadership. He told me, let me give you the, the structure to a happy marriage. I said, please do. He said, <laughs> When your wife asks you to do something, get it done. I said, okay. And then what? He said, the day that's going to come when you're going to want something or need something for your wife, and you say, hey, I'd like to go on a trip with my friends for two days, she's going to look at you and say, you have done such an incredible job in our marriage. Please do. You get everything done. You're so consistent in who you are. Go take two days off. I understand. So this man to me was a leader. This man named Martin. Beautiful, and, so, and yeah. it was, and it just happened yesterday. So, did you post it on Facebook? I'm going to. That's after this podcast. My goal is to write a post about Martin and show the video of this incredible gentleman. Yeah, really, because it's uh, it'll inspire a lot of people. Now, where is leadership most needed in today's world? Starting in the in the family. So I think that. We all have stresses in business and life, and if you're an employee and traffic and things like that, leadership starts with yourself and your family. When I talk about yourself, it's I talk about the mind. You need to get your mind right. If you have traumatic events that happen in your life that you're still bringing into the present, go get help. If you're drinking, doing drugs, go get help. If you're overweight, start walking. Every day, just go take a 15-minute walk. Because in family circles, when your kids start seeing you be healthy, they will be healthy. 
Mm-hmm. There's this, there's this uh, phenomenon in psychology, and I forget what it's called, but a child will want to connect to their parent so drastically that they will copy the characteristics and actions of the parent. So if you're smoking, they're going to start smoking. If you eat very unhealthy, you're going to teach them how to eat unhealthy. If you're always stressed out, guess what's going to happen to your child? Going to live stressed. Egal, you know, absolutely true. But it's interesting you said it's a, there's a name for it in psychology. We don't even need that because what you're describing, I think it's more obvious when we're modeling family members. But it's not as obvious to people. Here's one I learned from a great mentor of mine. Environment is stronger than willpower. Mm-hmm. So you go to a great personal development event and you are feeling unstoppable. You commit to all sorts of amazing behavior. You come home. Two weeks later, you're not feeling as motivated anymore. You're not quite sure why. Eventually, that excitement fades and you revert back to not su- so, to not such great habits. And we're picking that up from the average of the people around us, the people who are in our environment. They don't even have to tell us to behave a certain way. We just adjust to their level often um, because we want to be loved. That's very powerful stuff, man. It's incredible. And I think about like all of the, you know, Olympic athletes. Mm. I don't think an Olympic athlete just wanted to take a three-day swimming course (laughs) and walked out and became a gold medal winner like Phelps. You know, Phelps worked day in and day out on who he was with his coach. He got mentored. He read books. He worked on his mindset. Um, he, he worked on his health. If you just take a three-day course, and these are great jumpstart things. I go to them as well. But if you don't do the work afterward, if you're not accountable to somebody afterward, it doesn't work out. It's a waste of money. Mm-hmm. It's why I tell my people who, you know, I have people who say, you go, I want to work with you. Can you coach me? I say, yeah, sure. They're like, okay, great. Let's do a month-to-month thing. I'm like, no, I won't even do it. I won't even do it because in 30 days, you don't get a six-pack. No, no. In 30 days, your biceps don't grow. How am I supposed to change your mindset the way you are in 30 days? Oh, I agree. <laughs> right? So, I, yes, yeah. you can have a backpack <laughs> moment. You can, we can go back to the backpack. You can have a backpack moment at these things. But if you walk out of there and you don't courageously commit and consistently change your actions, you've thrown away your money and your time. Well, you know what? I don't totally agree. I understand what you mean. Uh, I think that it's a shame because um, without application, I agree, nothing will ever happen. I don't think it's a waste of time because once that seed has been planted, it could germinate for a long time before a person finds the the need or the reason to take action. And some of them might happen four or five years later. But it's certainly better to be exposed to that than not be exposed to it. Well said. 
I'll agree with you there. I also believe that 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 there are some people who who are conference addicts. Yep. And yep. where if you go to a conference, it's like a, it's like a drug, right? Mm-hmm. You go, you take a drug, you're on a high, then you come down, then you need to go another one, but there's no action taken. And yeah. I agree with you. The seed is planted and, and correct. You have to take action. Take one action, mm-hmm. right? If you go to a marketing conference and you learn that, I watched a video about something last night that said, you know, if you're going to post something on Instagram, make sure that you at least do 15 hashtags. Okay, commit to that. Right. You know, don't commit to posting every single day. Commit to like when you post in leadership. I can, I tell people commit to one thing, one thing in, in every section of your life. So don't commit to losing 40 pounds in a month. Commit to getting up and walking 15 minutes a day. Hmm. Commit to, instead of eating four cookies a day, commit to eating three. Small steps. Mm-hmm. And that way, we can, that way we can, once we've got some, uh, some momentum going, some, some positive reinforcement happening because you are doing one thing at a time, then we get into the bigger things. Mm-hmm. Excellent advice. Really, really great. Do you invest in your own personal growth training? Yes, of course. And who yeah. would you say are the the thought leaders that you admire the most? Currently, I admire Michael Port. Mm-hmm. I admire a gentleman named Alex Sharfin. Incredible, incredible man. Um, he's an entrepreneur, biohacker, and just great, great leader. Incredible leader. What about any of the more recognized, you know, celebrity gurus, Tony Robbins. So that's my thing. I, I appreciate them. I love what they do. I, for myself at this point, and I've been to the Tony Robbins uh, Unleash the Power Within, and I love what he does and how he does it. I've been going to some smaller events lately. Mm-hmm. And for me, there's, for me, there's a little bit more power there. I went to um, a Garrett J. White with Wake Up Warrior event. I went to Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, the extreme ownership guys. And I feel that there's a little bit more work to be done in a smaller arena for me. And although I respect what they've done, right now the people who are standing out for me are people who aren't as famous. Mm -hmm. The people who are who are recording their own content, doing their own stuff and doing it in such an incredible way that it it engages who I am as the leader I am today. Beautiful. You resonate with them. What was the name of the last kind of, after Wake Up Warrior, you mentioned another one. What was it called? Extreme Extreme Ownership. It's a book that two Navy SEALs wrote, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And I've learned so much from these Navy SEALs. I can't even explain to you like there are no excuses so when when are you gonna do hell week you know what there's actually there's actually one here in san diego by an ex uh navy seal called mark divine i know i have his book i have his book yeah yeah i i I love mark divine as well and so my goal is to do one of his events early next year you want to do hell week uh i don't think i don't know if it's called hell week but it's called um 
I forget what it's called. Uh, 10x or 20x or. Well, I'll tell you I what. Have to look it up. You do it, and then we can talk. Because um, <laughs> I admire it. Um, seal fit. Sorry, that's what it's called. Seal, seal fit. Oh yeah, no seal fit's going to yeah. involve elements of Hell Week, and um, I have a, a friend uh, that I met through personal development in T. Harv Eker's courses, and he went and he did that training twice, the Hell Week training, mm-hmm. and he actually okay. got he got through. Because I mean, getting through is. You know, yeah, many many people don't. They just don't. They 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 just have to stop. They just something yeah. in them says no. I I don't want to do this. I can't take anymore, and they leave. Uh, but he he actually made it through, and I have nothing but great admiration for him. Um, yeah, wow, that's exciting stuff. So so Mark Devine has a 12-hour challenge, a 24-hour challenge, a 50-hour challenge, a three-day challenge. So yeah. Maybe I'll start small. That's, I have to take my own advice. Start small and then work my way up. I think the three-day is very much like the hell week Yeah. Um, yeah. where there's going to be serious sleep deprivation, uh, pushing your body to limits that, you know, are seem like complete torture, etc., yeah. Now, I, I will say this. I don't believe that you need it to become a great leader. No, I, I will don't. say that there are mm-hmm. some people who need to be broken down to be built up. Mm-hmm. Right? There are some people who need to be beat up, punched in the face, hold a log over their head in the freezing cold water in order to break themselves down to be able to build themselves up. I also believe that through being honest with yourself and with your coach, whoever that is, choosing to lead and to do the work, you can get the same result. And that's mm-hmm. the type of work that I do with my clients. Beautiful. What, what is your favorite book? So you you said one of them, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements is, are, is one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible book. I also really, really like... Um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Oh, yeah. Um, being Jewish myself, reading about the Holocaust, uh, knowing what you know my ancestors went through, um, but, but reading it in a different mindset and with a different perspective. You know, I think to myself, how can I complain today reading what Viktor Frankl went through in the Holocaust? <laughs> there is no stress today for me in my personal life, dealing with my father who has Parkinson's and dementia, family issues that come up, business issues that come up, how can I sit here and complain? It happened to me, I went to something called the Landmark Forum. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very big here in Toronto. Yeah, so the Landmark Forum is kind of like what um, a friend of mine called me and he said, Egal, I have tickets to this thing. Do you trust me? And I said, I trust you. Do you love me? I love you. Don't Google it, just go. I said, okay. So I went and it was the, the, um, the kind of like the catalyst to a lot of personal development that I did. And when people stood up, Lewis, and talked about what they had gone through, I was about to walk out. I was about to say, I cannot believe I'm sitting here with so-called problems when the girl stood up and said that she was molested by her, you know, uncle friend. I, I, so for me, in my personal life, when I read Viktor Frankl's book, 
the hell that he went through, losing his family at the fingertips of the Nazis, gave me perspective that things really aren't so bad for me. I I totally agree with what you just said. That uh, for us, when we look at other people's anguish and suffering, there's no excuse. But the other thing that's tough is that it can make us judgmental because a woman who's been sexually assaulted by a family member, that's a hell to her. Oh, 100%. You know, so yeah, yeah I don't think it should become about a comparison of sufferings. My suffering's worse than yours. But it's what you experienced. How did you experience yeah. it? How old was she? You know, if she was like a teenager and, you know, let's say her father's brother raped her or something. That, that's, that's big stuff, man. Th that's why I sit in my life at the moment. Because I don't want to judge anybody else on what they've gone through. Uh -huh, uh -huh. For me at that, for me at that moment in my life, you know, going through that that training and going reading Viktor Frankl's book, it gave me perspective. Like I said, in my life, right? Because thank God I haven't gone through those type of traumatic events. What I have gone through is a father who worked his butt off and wasn't present. I worked through having some issues in my life that, you know, now looking back at it weren't as bad as the people I was surrounded by in the room or the book that I read, mm -hmm. you know, that was for me. Now, if you went through something like that, if you had a trauma like that, my recommendation, and I've worked with people with traumas like that, is don't go through this alone. Mm. You know, there's a therapy that I use, it's called EMDR therapy, that really works on um, conditioning the mind to file these types of traumas away so they don't come to the forefront because forgetting them I think is really really hard forgiving and moving forward is I think what people need to do with these types of traumatic events hmm. so I just do I do believe that you know don't think that you can do this alone and get help that's why I always tell people like get help I have I had a client who was going through an addiction I said I won't work with you until you get professional help hmm because I can't walk you through this, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I, I so I agree with what you said. Beautiful. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in the world, what would it be? Anger. I think that a lot of people are very angry, and I see this on the road when I'm driving. I see this on you know dealing with clients. I see it in a lot of places. A lot of people are very angry. So the magic wand would allow people to kind of forgive themselves and forgive others so that they're not as angry. I love it. And one again, one of my wonderful mentors put it so beautifully. When you think of it this way, you don't want to hold on to any of those negative feelings. He said, hating someone is the equivalent of drinking poison and hoping that the other person's going to die. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well said. Well, I also think that I think that when you don't forgive, you give away your power. Oh, that's powerful, right? Yeah, that's why you're going to love radical forgiveness. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's big. That's wonderful. So, who is your ideal client? Because, you know, the so more I, you talk, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but before I met you, I was thinking it was strictly the kind of coaching head-on for 
business. And then, yes, it would have a an effect on that, but it sounds more personal. So who is your ideal client? So my ideal client is the, the business owner who has a company that's that's making money but is stuck. Is stuck and is afraid to grow it because they're not spending time with their kids. Marriage isn't doing well. The, the team that they're leading isn't really following or there isn't like this really clear sense of mission and values because I have to unlock the leader. That's why it's called unlock the leader, right? I have to unlock the leader in order to grow the company. I, I call it to have more power, more profit and more peace hmm. because I believe that we're locked. We're locked. We're locked with not forgiving others, lack of clarity, lack of courage, lack of commitment, the condition of reminding our body. I can go through all the steps, but there's like these chains and shackles on us. And so what I do is I unlock you and your power so we get to your business and we become more profitable and then you're, you have more peace to spend more time with your family, to have a passionate marriage with your, with your spouse and so on and so forth. Mm, wonderful. How can people contact you? Sure. So if you go to unlocktheleader.com, uh, there's a free gift I give away of the 10 keys I used to unlock the leader. And with that, obviously, with full transparency, you get on my on my mail list and I start sending you just great value. I'm about giving value. You can also find me on all social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Egal Adato. You better, spell, y- you better yeah, spell it for yeah. people. That's at Y-I-G-A-L a-d-a-t-o and hopefully you'll put a link in the show notes for that so oh yeah absolutely any final thoughts final thoughts i want people to to look in the mirror like i did that day that my wife said i didn't get married to be alone and i would like for you to be honest with yourself be honest with what's happening in your life Be honest with what's happening in your business. Stop pretending because once you stop pretending, that's when you plant the seed, like you said, to incredible growth, more power than you've ever imagined, more profit in your business, more passion, and just more peace of mind. Hmm. So be, be honest. Beautiful. You know, of course are thanking you now for your contribution today. But I want to add something to this because my the people who listen to my show on a regular basis, I always thank people. And I want people to take note that my thanks comes from an authentic place always. It's not just a pat remark that I make. And in this case... One of the things that I found so inspiring listening to you, it's the content, of course, but it's the tone in which that content is expressed that says so much about who you are. And the tone is one of authenticity, is one that says this is a person who's not just cleverly come up with these ideas, but has experienced them through his own challenges in life, by dealing with his own pain, by looking at himself in the mirror, as he said. So thank you so much. It was a great gift. 
It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. You know, thank you for those listening as well. We've been on this for an hour and 15 minutes. I know that your time is precious and yours as well. So thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Egal Adato. Wow. Isn't authenticity so refreshing? It's an energizer. It can't be denied. When a person expresses it in their voice, you feel it in your body. I'm sure all of you felt it. Let others feel this too. Pay this forward. Let them know that they can experience this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And definitely download the gift that I have created for you at that website, the ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You know that my passionate belief is that readers are leaders. And this episode was not only all about leadership, but it was definitely about reading. Wow, it was a veritable book fest. Look up those titles that we mentioned throughout the entire podcast. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Grab one of them as an audiobook absolutely free and get one month free trial of all of Audible's service. I love the perspective that Egal brought to the subject today of leadership. It was different. It was much more holistic than any definition of leadership I have ever heard. And what I would love for you to think about during the next week is looking at yourself in the mirror, do you discover any area where you are not happy about who you are and how you're showing up in the world? If so, realize that that limits your happiness, affects your ability to lead and your ability to enrich and impact the lives of others. And in order to step into your leadership, which for me, in the context of this show, means stepping into being the whole person that you were meant to be, living up to your potential, begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.